<laughs> well done, well done. Uh, before we jump into our meeting, two uh, of God's loveliest people are here with us this morning. Dr. Bob and Annette Whitaker are here with us. I think Ozioma is with them. Is he? There he is. Uh, we are so glad that you guys are with us. There are missionaries in Southern Africa. Uh, they have been doing this kind of work in Africa for a lot of years, and they have blessed so many people, and it's been a blessing to us for us to be involved with them. Uh, Bob, since the last time he was with us, has been made an elder. Uh, besides all of his medical uh, responsibilities. He, he leads a devotional to the tune of about 200 people per week in that area of Swaziland. We're so grateful that we're here. Annette is so dynamic in all of the things that she does in assistance with uh, uh, the medical practice as well as some of her own endeavors. We're so grateful that we're, they're here. We want you guys to stand. We want to sing to you this morning. We love you with the love of the Lord. We see in you the glory of our King. And we love you with the love of the Lord. And everyone said, thank you so much. Let's begin with prayer. Father, we are in such terrible awe of your majestic holiness and the greatness of your power. And all of that has come to bear in each and every one of our individual singular lives because of love and your desire for us to be drawn near to you. So you have come near to us in the incarnation. This we're we pray to live our life worthy of that kind of love each and every day of the years that you give us. You are wonderful, beyond belief. And the things that you seek for us that boggle our imagination. But it is our determined endeavor, Father, that our eyes and our ears will be tuned to you in order to discern your words to us. And this is what we pray for in this moment. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Christmas, wonderful time of year. It is. And Christmas is a wonderful time of year because there are so many visitors to our home. There's the presence of so much family. But Christmas is also a very stressful time of the year because of all of the visitors and all of the families that come into our home. There's an old story, uh, I've told it before, of a mom who was stressed about getting her house ready as all of the family were staying at her house for the holidays. And she's stressed, and she is tired, and she's barking orders at everyone in order to get things done. She's barking out the orders, you know, clean your room, uh, make your bed, take out the trash, make sure the lawn is mowed. And later in the day, she goes into the living room and she sees her, her little daughter playing with the nativity scene right there in the middle of the floor. And she barks at her little daughter. She said, I want you to get that thing up and I want you to take it upstairs and you can play with it in your room. Now, a couple of minutes later, she goes upstairs and as she's passing her daughter's room, she hears her daughter in a voice that is imitating hers 
say, I don't care who you are, you get that camel out of my living room. One of the most frequently used words and associated words with this time of year is the word joy. It's the word joy. But it's also one of the most elusive experiences in human life. I want to give you a definition of of joy before we go much further. This is how I define joy. Joy is the sense of profound and deep pleasure coming from our anxious and chaotic emotions becoming ordered by the presence and help of God. Joy is a a sense of profound, deep pleasure. Joy, when it is real, is something that you don't forget very quickly. It is profound and it's deep. It's, It's generated on the inside, a core of who we are as a human being. And it comes when what is typically an anxious or a chaotic emotional life, because of the stresses that we face, all of those emotions become ordered They become calmed by the presence of God and by the help of God. And that's how God wants human beings to live. And he helps with it. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul reminds the church, he says, When you walk with the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And what's the second one? Joy. And then in Romans chapter 15, he writes to the church in Rome. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all what? joy, joy and peace as you trust in him so that, he, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the really unfortunate things uh, in our modern world is that God gets an unfair reputation of being this gigantic cosmic killjoy. And it's unfair because as the scripture reveals God to us, God is someone who wants everyone to experience and to be filled with joy. And joy is one of the great gifts that he offers every human being. Think back to what the angel says to the shepherds as they are out there in the fields keeping their sheep at the birth of Jesus. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I mean, you can imagine pitch black, nothing but a campfire and stars, and all of a sudden there's a celestial heavenly being in their presence. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. Not just a select few. Not just for a minority. But this news is of great joy. That will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Christ, the Lord. Joy is possible in this life and in this season. Joy is possible because real joy, joy, profoundly, is found in God. The question is, how do we get there? Well, I would, this morning, uh, by way of illustration, um, getting to joy by crossing a river. And the way that you cross the river is with stepping stones. And the stepping stones are these. You believe that there's a God. You believe that God is love. You believe that God is with you. And you believe that God intends to invade your heart. Let's begin with that first one. Joy comes when we trust and rely on the spiritual facts. Yes, there are spiritual facts. When you rely and trust the spiritual facts and the historical facts of the birth of Jesus. Stepping stone number one is believe that there is a God who came. Most simply, 
in the incarnation, God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, has come to us and squeezed himself into human form. One of the big questions that every single person has to answer, every person in this room and in the city and the state, in the world and all of history, the one question everyone has to ask when it comes to joy is this. Is it possible to be joyful in an empty universe? Is it possible to be joyful in an empty universe? If there's not a God in the universe, then the universe is cold. And the strong eating the weak is the rule of the day. There can be no joy if the universe is not friendly. And it would nearly be impossible to sense joy even if there is a God, but he is aloof and does not make himself known. And this is one of the reasons why we read the, 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 uh, the genealogy of Jesus every year, is to be reminded that the incarnation of God becoming flesh and tabernacling or, or tenting or dwelling among us is so important. John says it this way in John 1, the Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and the only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And Mary gives birth. And most of us have been there. A beautiful moment. And Mary is, is holding this baby. She does what mothers have done before her and after her. She touches the baby's face, tries to imagine that before becoming this baby in her arms, that he had created the universe in which he lives. Max Lucado, in one of his first books, writes about this moment. He writes, This baby had overlooked the universe, his golden throne room, had been abandoned in favor of a dirty sheep pen. And worshiping angels had been replaced with kind but bewildered shepherds. God had come near. Let him be as human as he intended to be. Let him into the mire and the muck of our world, for only if we let him in can he pull us out. End of quote. Joy begins in the knowledge that there really is a God that he wants to be known. He wants to be known so terribly badly that he becomes flesh. But how does he, as he comes in the flesh, how does he want to be known? Stepping stone number two, understand this God is love. You know as well as I do that love has been warped in our world. We love people for what we can get out of them. We love them to this point, but no further. But neither of these explain why God would come and allow himself to be crucified for our sins in order for us to get his righteousness. But not only that, to become the human beings we were always intended to be. Unless he is love in its greatest form. That same John writes in 1 John at the end of his life, third chapter. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. You know, we've talked about this before. Let me remind you of, of, of this question. What is it that keeps Jesus on the cross? Is it the nails? It is not. Is it the Roman soldiers who are guarding 
the place where he is crucified between two thieves. It is not. He himself said, 10,000 angels ready to come in order to save him. All he had to do was say the word. But he never says the word. What is it that keeps him on the cross? It's love. A verse we talk a lot about around here is found in Hebrews chapter 12. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And the question we have to ask is, Jesus not have in the presence of God the Father and God the Spirit that he had to come to earth and endure the cross in order to experience it or to have it? And the answer is us. Us. He came in the flesh and endured the cross because God is love and finds joy in us. And when you realize that you are at the, at the center of his joy, then that puts joy in your heart as well. You realize that you're his joy and it brings joy into your own life. Which brings us to that third stone, which is know that God is with you. Gabriel, the angel, appears to Mary. He tells her that she is going to experience, the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow her. And she is going to conceive and to give birth to a son. And she is to name him Jesus, which was probably Yeshua in the Hebrew language, because he will save people from their sins. And this had been prophesied centuries earlier by Isaiah. In Isaiah 7, Matthew chapter 1, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. One of the promises of God throughout the Bible is that God is not aloof. You can seek God. And God seeks you. God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to come up with me from the Ur of the Chaldees, and I'm going to take you to a promised land. He speaks to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. David knows this God so intimately that in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and Acts chapter 13, he is described as a man who knows God so intimately that he's after God's heart. That same David, one day, he's out in the pastures, pins Psalm 23, and right in the middle of that psalm in verse 4, he says, even though I walk through the valley of death. That's David's ancient way of saying the worst, absolutely scariest moment in my life, in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David is in the worst of valleys in his life, but he says that he is unafraid because ata imadi in Hebrew, because you are with me. And anxiety and chaos and fear are dismissed in the presence of God, and it is replaced with joy. God doesn't take something away without putting something in its place. Sometimes it's peace, sometimes it's joy. Psalm 96 describes, it's a beautiful song, read it out loud to your family today. Psalm 96 describes people singing and heavens rejoicing. It describes the earth as being glad and the fields being jubilant and the, and the trees are singing for joy. Why? 
And Psalm 96, it's because the Lord is coming. And anything that gets close to God jumps for joy. Therefore, stepping stone number four, let God invade you. The incarnation is not merely God invading his creation. God is invading creation in order to invade me and to invade you. He is invading us. And John chapter 15, verse 11, I've told you this so that my joy may. His joy, the joy that Jesus experienced might be in us and that it might be complete. Jesus in his prayer recorded in John 17 says, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. In John 16, Jesus says that joy will come like a woman in labor. Never experienced that. But there's excruciating pain. And and when labor comes, there is no stopping it. Now, I don't think any woman literally forgets the pain in childbirth. But what Jesus is saying, what he's illustrating is that their life is not controlled by the anguish of the moment, but by the joy of the birth of the child. There is the existence of a joy, this joy of Jesus, that overrides the pain and the crisis that any of us will face in this life. Nearly 50 years ago, my best growing up in Wichita Falls, lost his oldest brother in an oil field accident. We had moved from Wichita Falls. Uh, We went back for a short visit about a year or so after this young man died. My best friend and his older brother, they had shared a room and it had all the things that a boy's room would have. There were trophies and a letterman's jacket and a baseball cap on a hook, the NFL teams on a bedspread. I visited my friend a year or so after his brother died and remember walking into the room and finding it exactly the same. Nothing had changed. When you have a loved one with you, that that stuff doesn't matter because you have them with you. But grief is not about where they are, it's about where they are not. And when they are not with you, All of that stuff becomes important. The early church didn't spend a lot of time trying to preserve that empty tomb. They didn't turn it into a shrine. They weren't charging admission to go see it. And the reason is they had him. They had him. Jesus had told them, Remain in me as I also remain in you. John will talk about in 1 John that God is love and that that God abides in you as you abide in him. And the result through faith and knowing that what Jesus said about his life and what scripture had prophesied was all true is that you are never, ever, ever without him. And as Peter would say, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, 
you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. It all began when a Holy Spirit overshadowed a young Galilean teenager who gave birth to an infant that was both God and human at the same time. He experienced, according to the book of Hebrews, everything that we ever experienced in this life. Temptations, whatever it might be, only without ever failing as we fail, without transgression, without iniquity when it comes to sin. And because of love, not only did he come and leave all of that glory in heaven but and squeezed himself into our flesh, but having lived that perfect, innocent life, the most sensitive man who ever lived, and because he was the most sensitive man, the more it pained him, was betrayed and given up and made the sacrifice for our sins in order for us to get his righteousness and for God's Spirit to come inside of us, not just forgiveness, but God's Spirit coming inside of us in order for us to be transformed into the likeness of the one who died for us, to become the human being we were always intended to be. When we are baptized, it is not a graduation, it is a new birth. And what we experience in that new birth is like every human literal new birth, is a growing up into adulthood. When you become a child of God and new birth through the forgiveness of sin and being baptized and confession and repentance, one of the things that happens is God puts His Spirit in you. And as you find your taste developing for the will of God and for the kingdom of God and for the blessings of God and more than anything else, the presence of God in your life, you begin to grow up and become like the one who died for you. And one day you will see him face to face. You will find yourself in the most inexpressible and glorious joy you can imagine because your faith becomes sight at that point. You will see him face to face and all of the troubles that you have ever experienced in this life will come to naught as eternity erupts, the eternity that begins in our life right now as it erupts into life eternal within forever and ever and ever and ever. We're going to have some shepherds down here at the front. Maybe you're thinking, today's the day that I need to make that happen. I need to make that decision. I need, I need to decide who is really going to be of my life. What God is asking is the very thing that the first couple did not do in the Garden of Eden. And that was to trust to have faith, to believe that God is everything and all things. And if you would like to, to be baptized this morning and to confess your sins, to repent and to change your life and to go in the direction of God, we have some shepherds down here at the front that would like to talk to you about that happening today as we stand and we praise God together. Angels we have heard on high Sweetly singing o'er the plains And the mountains in reply Echoing their joyous strains Lord 
As you're leaving today, the Whitakers will be out in the family room. Please go by and uh, greet them and encourage them uh, before you uh, take off for the rest of the day. Uh, some prayer requests have come forward.